So in part, it's just luck, like everything in life, make sure you're not unlucky. And a part of it is just taking the opportunity. Our VP, Scott, on the business development side of LinkedIn, like one of the things he says is respect the opportunity. And I love that because we have so much opportunity in tech because it skills so well. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. We're so pleased to welcome our next guest, Martin Lancy. Martin is the Senior Manager for Mobile Growth and Business Strategy on LinkedIn, where he has grown as a product leader over the past three years. Before LinkedIn, Martin spent eight years at Google, where he was responsible for developing and implementing Google's app distribution strategy focused on preloads and pre-installs. Welcome, Martin. So happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Mala. It's a pleasure. So tell us a bit about your role at LinkedIn. LinkedIn is such a big company. There's a lot of things that you guys are working for. Tell us a bit about like your team, your role, what you do day to day. I started at LinkedIn three years ago, and my goal was to build the preload program from scratch. So we had already a very effective paid media team that was focusing on driving installs through advertising platforms. And they were trying to figure out to if we could distributor app and through that increase mobile growth. The key metric that LinkedIn that uses is what we call an app activation, which is either someone signing up in the app for the first time or they're signing in. It's a sign up or a sign in. And through preloads, I was convinced in the interview process that I would be able to set up the preload program and drive a lot of growth for the company. And also, I just really enjoyed the people that I interviewed with And I strongly believe in the mission of the company, which is to create economic opportunity for the global workforce. And with preloads, it's mostly on Android smartphones. Yeah. So we're currently preloaded. Our flagship app is preloaded on 700 million Android smartphones a year, which is mostly in emerging markets like India, Brazil. We do have some distribution as well in the US and Northwestern Europe. So it feels a bit like a karma job because... The value and the power of the platform to distribute it to people that especially could get benefit from an economic boost by upscaling themselves to get a better job, how you pay for their family and themselves, feels great. So that's how it started. And before LinkedIn, as you mentioned, I was at Google for almost a decade and I was heading up their preload program. But Google had built a hundred different apps. So I was working with all their product teams to figure out, could this product team and this app benefit from distribution through preloads? So that's where I learned the ropes and had a fantastic time, amazing company. But the opportunity at LinkedIn was just so amazing. I love it at LinkedIn right now. I think it's an amazing company, amazing employees. So really enjoy the role. And to answer your question in terms of what our team does, we um, have expanded our scope a bit. So we really look at it in terms of mobile growth. Stage one is preloads, distribution. Let's just get our flagship app on as many phones as we can globally. And then the second phase is something we're, we're launching soon, which we call preloads marketing. So now that we're on the phone, how can we ensure that through retargeting with some of these Android OEM advertising platforms, how can we make sure that more people know that the app is on their phone? So they actually app activate, they sign up or they sign in. And then stage three, which I'm very much looking forward to, is figuring out 
a way to continue mobile growth by launching completely new to the company mobile growth channels. So we're going to the Mobile Congress at the end of this month and we're meeting with 20 prospects to figure out what channels should we pilot. Automotive, carrier preloads, with digital turbine, iron source, for example, and some other ones that are completely new to us uh, over the air or notifications on an eSIM, for example. That's where we currently are. That's really cool. And you're actually the first person I've had on the podcast that talked about mobile growth, uh, uh, about preloads as a strategy. I think you're like, you know, probably we've had 70 episodes and this is not something that most companies think about. Tell us a bit about like, how does that work? What are the biggest challenges? You obviously have to work with these OEMs. It's just very different than like some of the other strategies we've heard on this podcast. Give us the rundown. Okay. Glad to hear that. Hopefully it's useful to your audience because it's something new. Yeah. Very cool. It's been very effective for both Google and LinkedIn. So I think if any app developers listening to this podcast, I would highly recommend you to at least launch a test with Digital Turbine and Iron Source to understand how preloads could potentially work for you. And if you have the resources like a dedicated business development or product manager who can do the deals directly with the Android OEMs, typically you'll get more bang for your buck. The ROI should be higher than if you work through an intermediary, which makes sense. So to answer your question, the challenging part working directly with the Android OEMs is that you have to build that trust. It's not going to happen overnight or just by hopping on a Zoom meeting, for example. So we actually spent a lot of time in Asia. We went to the headquarters of Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo, um, Sony in Japan, and we built those relationships and we enjoyed delicious hot pots <laughs> and, and maybe an adult beverage or two. And it's just really important to create that relationship. So that's very enjoyable. Really love that part of, of the role as well. And then just trying to figure out, okay, which apps are currently preloaded on these smartphone manufacturing devices being shipped out to the entire world? And how does LinkedIn fit into that strategy? So luckily, we really enjoy high brand equity. LinkedIn is a, a mm, platform yeah, that continuously, you know, it, it wins the price effectively for the most trusted social platform out there. And we focus on professionals. So the majority of the time, the ambiance on the platform is professional. People would like to keep that professional. And the highest profit margin for these Android OEMs is on their very high-end devices. It makes sense. There's a natural product market fit, as you will, to have LinkedIn preloaded on the devices, specifically in that mid and high-end category for smartphones. So I think that's just like natural value there. The smartphone manufacturers typically charge for the install. So the moment the phone is activated the first time someone turns it on, the Android OEM would say, okay, now you owe us X amount of cents or dollars. And I think in part because we enjoy high brand equity and the uh, the great people on my team that negotiate these deals, we manage to only pay for performance. So we're paying for when someone app activates effectively. And we have a great data science and business operations team that understand what our LPVs are in all these different markets. So they're effectively ROI positive deals. So for anyone listening, that's definitely the way that's to awesome. go. Try to negotiate strategy before you uh, sign an agreement with uh, cost per install. Cool. I know LinkedIn, when you think about mobile growth, and obviously this is a really great channel, are there other channels and maybe even there if they're not specifically on your team, but other ways that 
Nathan is thinking about mobile and app growth in general, any other stories or things that you think are working really well that others can learn from, even if they're not necessarily owned by you or your team? Love the question. Thank you. I think number one, most effective is preloads. The second biggest channel would be paid advertising and the usual spot suspects that we all work with. I think the third channel would be really our amazing product teams who are building features and putting a lot of thought into, okay, what is the guest experience like right now? And how do we ensure that we show the value to these guests specifically to them? How can we apply AI and machine learning to ensure it's the best experience so that people understand the value of LinkedIn? That's really what we focus on most. And for stage three, TBD, hopefully in the next two quarters, we'll launch new partnerships and new channels. So maybe we can have this podcast again in about a year from now. You guys also have a lot of like desktop and web users. Any strategies for converting them to like app users and converting existing users that are using LinkedIn on the, obviously on the desktop and on, and even on their mobile web to get them to the app? Absolutely. Yes. As you can imagine, once someone logs into the app, we just see a lot more engagement and we monetize much better. So we, we do pay a lot of attention to that. We have effectively banners on both desktop and mobile web to show, hey, would you like to install our app? And we, so we make that very frictionless. I think generally the way the world is moving is that people understand they get a better experience from the app. It's a super app with hundreds of different features. It's right there in your pocket. Yeah. It's typically a much better experience. And we just, we're sunsetting our light, which we only built on Android and launched in 2016, because we understand looking at the data that we no longer need to offer a light app. The way that the world is evolving, smartphones are becoming more affordable and they're powerful enough to run our full app right now. That's cool. And also LinkedIn has more than, obviously more than one product. So I obviously, when I recruit people, I use LinkedIn Recruiter and I know you have a learning app. How do you think about interconnecting and helping growth between different products that someone might use? Great question. And th thank you for using our products. Much appreciated. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what other products are there? You guys are the best. <laughs> really appreciate that. That's music to our ears. Thank you. To answer your question, we, we do have a few more apps. So we have the LinkedIn Learning app, which is part of the premium offering we have. So if you purchase LinkedIn Premium, you become a subscriber. You, you have access to over 16,000 LinkedIn Learning courses for everything. If you want to learn how to code or you want to understand better how business development teams operate and the processes behind that, it works. We have uh, Recruiter as a separate app, etc. But the focus is really about the main app. And to answer your question, we try to bring in features into that app. So you can imagine where a lot of people connect on LinkedIn, but the first question they ask is, hey, what's your email address? What's your phone? And then they go off platform. So ideally, as you can imagine, we're trying to figure out how do we get features in the app so people no longer have to go off platform, but to find it more valuable and frictionless to stay on the platform. So we have LinkedIn Messenger built into our flagship app, which is very effective. We've integrated with Microsoft Teams and Zoom, and we've built our own video conference platform in LinkedIn Messenger. So if you want today, you and I, for example, we want to schedule a meeting for next week to share insights on mobile growth. We could just do that exactly within LinkedIn Messenger and then from there, hop on to a Zoom, for example. So that, that's really how we're thinking about it. It is good to have a separate for recruitment professionals and for sales professionals using SalesNav because that in itself is another super app. You can imagine we do not want to get some of those features built into our flagship app. And 
make it a, even a heavier app than it already is. There's a lot of effort from the engineering teams to make sure it's as light as possible so that there's hardly any drop off. That's how we're thinking about it. How do you decide like what gets in, what gets out, what gets sunsetted? I know like, for example, stories was something that was there and then it wasn't. How do you think about these like new features that do they get as, as you try to balance like what goes in, what goes out? We have a clear process for it on the product side. I think even though we're quite a large company with more than 15,000 people, I look at us still as a big startup because speed to market is quite fast. We do test out new features as often as we can. We have a voice of member team that collects all the anecdotal feedback from our members to understand what they want, what they need, and what they value. And the moment we're, we've launched a pilot with a new feature, we collect all that feedback to understand, is this actually driving value or not? And if it doesn't, we'll just ramp it down, deprecate it, sunset it. Uh, but if it does work, then we'll, we'll just launch it fully. And the process there really is, it originates with the product leader just collecting feedback from the company in terms of what we should do. So every Thursday at 10 o'clock, we have what we call member value meeting, which is the executive team brainstorming and discussing across each line of business, across each different product feature and team, what is happening in the world, what are we doing, what are we learning from other companies, what are we learning from reading all the reports out there, and where can we be the first to launch something? Because we sit on valuable data obviously non-PII, and understand what's happening with the world's global workforce and then think about, okay, how can we add more value for them? One of the things we launched was what we called close colleagues. So you can identify who is working in your team, in your company, and build an organizational map. And it turns out that didn't really drive uh, much value to, to the members, so we, we deprecated that. But it's still good to know because a lot of people thought about it for a long time, and now we know. So we, we learn from our mistakes. We focus on the learnings and then we just move on and try something new. As long as it, the, the goal is always to drive member value. That's awesome. And when you think about your members, I think traditionally LinkedIn has been known as this like white collar business professional network. And I've noticed you expanding into other groups of workers. And we've all known over the past two years how important frontline workers have been. And traditionally, some of these groups are mobile first. How do you think about that expansion? I love that you said traditionally first-line workers are mobile first because that's absolutely true. And we've seen historically, to your point, that the majority of our members are white-collar, typically went to a prestigious university or college, or they're very successful entrepreneurs. But increasingly so over the years, and especially during COVID, we've seen an uptake in first-line workers joining our platform to a point where it's actually a significant part of our member base right now, which is amazing. That's and the awesome. anecdotal feedback we get is wonderful. We have one of the biggest thing groups is called The Break Room. And this is where a lot of first-line workers go to during their break. They might not be able to spend the break with a colleague. So they just open up our app, go to The Break Room, and they use it either to vent. They want to share a bad customer experience, for example, and get the support of the network of the group. Or they're just there scrolling and enjoying the comical content. <laughs> um, there's good polls on the group as well. There's things like... Just one example, if you set up your profile, you have to choose your job title. We did not have all the first line job titles in there. Right now you can say, I'm a line cook and it, it will be there already for a few years now. So we're, we're putting a lot more thought into making sure that the platform is valuable to everyone with a job. 
whether it's full-time, part-time, first-line worker, you're the CEO of a company, you're an investor, you're a celebrity, and now you're building several, several businesses, how can we make sure that we, we drive value for everyone? That's awesome. Are you thinking at all about your product differently now that you're like starting to have a bigger part of your users be this mobile first, maybe not like, you know, your traditional uh, user base? Are you making like, are you thinking about like changing the product in any way for this kind of like new target user, user persona? It's a great question. And the answer is yes and no, because we want to ensure we're not just focusing on building a product for one segment mm. but we want to make it as inclusive as possible and luckily we have great ux engineering product teams market research teams that have user groups with all of these different segments to understand what's valuable and what's not valuable to them and i think a lot of these features do as long as the features don't do any damage for any of the other segments it's a great feature if at least half of the platform or the segments on the platform would get value out of it and it doesn't disturb anyone else, it's a good sort of like process we follow internally to make, make sure we drive value there. And I think, again, like the break room for first-line workers is a perfect example. And we're learning a lot from awesome. that as well in terms of how we can do that for, for other groups. That is so cool. I love it. So Martin, you've had such a cool career. You've told us about LinkedIn and how did you get into what you do today? I like to think about this podcast all about driving growth for your company, but also your own personal growth. Tell us a bit about your journey here and how did you like get into mobile? And So I, I think I've always enjoyed communication and being with people and listening and sales in general. So when I was six years old, I was selling flowers, Dutch tulips, door to door in a wheelbarrow. And I wow. actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a good experience. I think some people thought that I did not purchase the, the, the tulips from the farmer and it sent me away angry. And I'd have to come back with the farmer later and explain, actually, this is a legit business. I started very young and I always have a lot of energy throughout college. I've had many different sales jobs. I was selling suits for a company called Suit Supply. I was working in, in several catering businesses and, and restaurants, one called Docomo, which is an international catering company for the Formula One. So I had the opportunity to travel a lot. I've been to 84 countries because of the Formula One travel as well. And just because I optimized my life for travel and learning about different cultures before I settled down and have a family. So now we have a two-year-old, my wife and I. And game over, we live in the Burbs now, which is north of San Francisco, but we really enjoy it. My journey is really listening and understanding where what product can drive value for someone. And I enjoyed it a lot. So eventually, I was offered a job opportunity for Heineken International, the Dutch brewing company in Kigali, Rwanda. And I went there for seven months on a distribution project. Pro, uh, project. Really enjoyed it. But then I came back to Amsterdam and I realized I need to go into tech. It's 2010. I had done an internship at Microsoft for the marketing team. I really enjoyed it. Microsoft was a different company than it is now. I think a lot of things have improved since then. And we have amazing leadership with, with Sachin Adela behind the wheel, who's doing an amazing job. I got in at Google in 2010. And I think starting at Google at age 25 was an amazing opportunity. I like to say that I always want to be the dumbest person in the room. And I was surrounded by very talented and social people. And I learned a lot from that experience and climbed the corporate ladder, as you will. And finally, someone in San Francisco, uh, I was begging for a job to move out to the Bay Area. 
and someone called John. I really appreciate he, he took the opportunity and gave me a chance to build something I'd built in Amsterdam, managing a billion dollar business for Google to see if we could launch that in San Francisco for the US. That went well. So in part, it's just luck, like everything in life. You just don't make sure you don't, you're not unlucky. And a part of it is just taking the opportunity. Our VP, Scott, on the business development side of LinkedIn, like one of the things he says is respect the opportunity. And I love that because we have so much opportunity in tech because it scales so well. So if you can build products like Google News or LinkedIn and the value of that to scale that to the world, I think there's a big responsibility. But if you do it well, it's better for everyone. That's awesome. And what's one thing that if you looked at our your LinkedIn, we wouldn't guess about you, we wouldn't know about you? Okay. I, on the professional side, I'm a startup advisor. Just one example is my friend Daniel, who's Italian. He, he built the first um, sustainable fashion company based out of Italy. It's called wow. Revello. And he needed some help to launch in the US, which has been very successful. And I think, again, just like LinkedIn, it's a bit of a karma job or a karma project because it, it does help the world uh, move away from fast fashion, uh, which is very polluting. Not tech related, but but close to my heart nonetheless. And then the other thing you cannot find in my profile is that I just love to be outside. So I do mountain biking, surfing, kite surfing. I love to go alpine touring. So backcountry skiing in Tahoe. It's only wow. three hours from here. And we have a great group of friends guys and girls who we, we love to meet up with to do that. So I feel blessed. I love living here in the Bay Area. It's an, an you know enormous opportunity in terms of meeting really fun, smart people. And there's great job opportunity. Love connecting with you now. And you're also here based out of the Bay. It's amazing. It's, it's good to be us. <laughs> It is. We do live in a, an amazing right. spot. The fact that I can go biking the whole year and I don't even need warm clothes and stuff. It's just incredible. Cool. How about one of the things that you should like asking as you think about like your day to day? What are some metrics that you like look at every day that help you like make your decisions? How do you think about that? We first and foremost look at app activations, our mobile growth team, because that's when folks sign in or sign up uh, in the app which is good to understand if we're still driving value through these mobile programs. But then within app activation specifically, we split it out and, okay, look at the retention metrics across different timeframes to make sure that we're not just getting people to find the app and log in, but also actually find value so that they're coming back. And then I mentioned this before, we have a really great voice of member team to understand what folks think about certain features. So we launch a new feature, for example, on, on iOS or Android, we collect that feedback and immediately try to build that into the campaigns. We change the marketing copy for certain things. And even on the preload side, we have tested different landing propositions. For example, Japan wants something different out of LinkedIn than someone who opens up the Sony preload in Sweden, for example. That's cool. I, those are like good things to look at. I think before we go into our lightning round, which is my favorite part of the podcast, I think, you know, one last question is, I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast are looking for like ways to like both grow and learn from ideas. And I think you've had some really good ones, but also how to shift careers. And I think you've worked at some really big, cool companies. If someone's looking to become, go into growth or business development, or product in some of these big companies like LinkedIn or Microsoft, what is some advice you have from them on how to approach that? One, 
listen to this podcast, <laughs> not just this episode, but all of the episodes, obviously. And all jokes aside, I think it's really good to schedule time with product managers, business development managers in the space, in the company. You can obviously use LinkedIn to do a search and just reach out, say, hi, I would like to get into the space. Could you please be my mentor? I would love to ask for 30 minutes of your time for the next six months, just once a month. I would find it very strange if not one out of two would say, would say yes, I'd love to be your mentor. So if you, if you present that, and ideally you can also share how you could be valuable to that person by saying, hey, practically I ran this study at your company and I think, would you consider hearing me out? I think maybe there's a good product feature I can help you for free just to build that relationship and come with something to the table if you have the time and scope. I love that about LinkedIn as well, that it's very easy to go and look for mentors. My manager, Alexandra Ricomini, she's amazing. She's an awesome coach, best boss I've ever had. But it's also important, I think, and that's what I tell my direct reports as well, or not tell them, explain them like, yeah, I can only do so much for you in terms of growth. Please go look for a mentor, whether it's within or outside the company, because it's always good to get a different perspective from someone. So I think that's what I would do. And then in general, I really like listening to Prof G in the last year, especially. And one of his latest episodes was with Emily Onholt, who is one of the co-founders of COA. And the way that she explained it was that she's building a gym for mental health. And in that podcast, she mentioned there are effectively seven traits for effective leadership, thinking about emotional fitness. One is the first one is self-awareness, then empathy, then mindfulness, curiosity, playfulness, resilience, and communication. And I just love that list. I'm gonna I'm going to look at more of her content because it was very interesting. I'd love to learn more from her. And I like the playfulness as well. You've made me and like I'm adding it to my to-do list because this is really interesting. <laughs> great. Cool, Martin. It's been really great hearing more about you. But now the real tough questions are coming. We have this like lightning round and they're a little bit silly, but I think it gets the people, the audience to get to know you better. Okay. So if, if you had to delete all the apps on your phone, you could only keep one. What would it be? I think it would be Spotify. I think music is super important to disconnect, enjoy, connect with other people. You can dance to it. And obviously with Spotify, you can listen to podcasts, which is how I try to learn by listening to people that I think are very interesting. And also, I was first going to say LinkedIn, because it's also a communication tool, so you can stay in touch with your loved ones and the world, but you can always call them. You still have your phone to do that. So I would say Spotify. Yeah. Cool. I love that. Okay. If you had an app that allowed you to talk to one animal or one type of animal, what would you pick? <laughs> oh, wow. This is a tough one. I'd love to understand how animals think in general, but I would go for a dog. Because if you have a dog and people that own dogs know this, it really becomes a family member. Yeah. And I think there are, there's good communication and understanding between dogs and human beings. But if you could talk, it'd just be so fun. Oh, so much fun. Do you that. have a dog? We don't, but we'll, we'll soon get one. I used to have a dog growing up. Yeah. Do you? I have a dog. She's somewhere around here. I don't know. She's like sleeping in the living room. I think I saw her run around in the background. Oh, you did? <laughs> so funny. She starts her thing. Okay, so what's in one unlikely app on your phone? One that people would be like, what? Why does Martin have that on his phone? <laughs> I have many apps on my phone. I would say there's a few social media apps that the majority of their user base is Gen Z, following the millennial category. So people would be like, 
maybe, hey, dude, you're, you're too old to have this. But the reason I have them is because we are evaluating new partnerships mm. for other user growth, member growth programs. That's why. And I'm trying to figure out... What's the most weird out of the Gen Z apps you have? <laughs> What's the weirdest one? I don't know. On, the, on top of mind. I only know of TikTok. So even if it's one right. that's not TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yet fully understand TikTok. I see it is popular and I understand the value prop. But again, like maybe I'm just too old to fully get it. You've never had the deep dive. Like sometimes I open the app and I'm like, oh my God, it's three hours have passed. What did I do with the last three hours? <laughs> now I know how to tie my hair in a new way. <laughs> <laughs> That's valuable content. Yeah. It has happened. It has happened to me where I like did not understand where the time went. I was like, it cannot have been three hours of me on TikTok. <laughs> so I tried to, de I delete it and then I bring it back. It's bad. <laughs> Love that. Can I ask you, Mara, if you had to delete all apps from your phone, which app would you keep if you can only have one app? Audible. Audible. There we go. Yeah. I uh, listen to a lot of sci-fi and fantasy books, and it's like the thing that like really keeps me. Like I do it while I drive, and it's just... And I do also listen to business books, but I also... So it's a mix of learning and like really nerding out and building worlds in my head. So uh, like no doubt, Audible. Fun. Fun, fun, fun. Cool, Martin. First of all, thanks for asking me what question. I, no one has ever asked me a question back. So how fun is that? And it was just so fun to get to know you better. And we've talked about a completely new channel that we've never covered before and got to know you better. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Love the conversation. And if anyone of your audience wants to reach out, my name is Martin Lancy, M-A-R-T-I-J-N. Lancy, you can find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect and share preload insights. Thank you, Mara. We will link to your LinkedIn in the episode description. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing. Keep growing.